You're listening to The Propaganda Report. We have a very special guest here with us today to talk about his upcoming Netflix documentary and a variety of subjects from Waco to Oklahoma City and everything in between. It's going to be a fantastic show. If you enjoy the show, if you find value in it, drop us a donation via PayPal, become a Patreon, share the show with your friends. We need all the support that we can get to continue producing as much content as possible. I'm going to throw it to Monica for the introductions. This is Monica Perez with Brad Binkley and our guest, Pete Raymond, uh, Atlanta's own libertarian activist, author, podcaster, and general educator. Pete has written free, uh, has written Freedom Through Memedom. The kids are not all right and is the very popular host of the podcast Free Man Beyond the Wall. Hi, Pete. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. I'm so happy to be here. I've had both of you on my podcast individually, so um, yeah, I'm excited. Thank you. Yes, we're super excited to have you. And I know that you, you've done so much in the past, but you have a very exciting project coming up. You want to tell us a little bit about um, your foray into documentary making? We put together, um, myself and a couple of Atlanta-based uh, friends, put together a production company last year, and we are doing what we believe to be the first documentary on the history of government and transitioning into an anarcho-capitalist society. Wow. Well, so like how do we get from here to there kind of thing? Yes. That's the quintessential question. I was going to ask you that question today, too. You've already got a documentary (laughs) for it. He scooped you. And you you want to hear some of the names that are going to be in it? Right on. Give it. Ron Paul, Dave Smith, Tom Woods, Bob Murphy, David Gordon, Jeff Dice, Larkin Rose, Eric July, Thaddeus Russell, Lynn Ulbricht. I know you talk about Ross yes, all the time. Yes. I'm I'm friends with Lynn. She's fantastic. Yeah, I absolutely must speak to her. Jeffrey Tucker. Uh, we've already interviewed Vit Jedlicka. He is the president of Lieberland, if you know anything about what's going on over uh, over in the Eastern Europe with with Lieberland trying to uh, establish a libertarian city right between uh, Serbia and uh, I can't remember the name of it, Croatia. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, so we're going to va- watch next year that on Netflix and Amazon Prime, there will be a documentary with the top libertarians in the world talking about how to transition into a society where people don't have to be forced into interactions. I'm really excited to watch that because that is, I mean, I begin to give up because I see where we are and I'm just at this point hoping to kick the can and, and kind of looking backwards to like, let's just preserve the bill of rights. Can we just do that? Because it just, I just feel like, the cultural shift that would be necessary for people to really be able to live free. I, I, I feel like it's slipping away. So I really want some, some, something to hang on to there. And that's definitely the team to, to give the answer. I think. Well, I, when it comes down to it, I really believe that the only way to achieve this is to get, get everything as small as possible in 1996, Hans Hermann Hoppe gave a speech, and it's probably something I read it probably once a month, and it's called "What Must Be Done." And basically, he talks about we need to 
turn what is the United States into 10,000 or 20,000 Lichten, Lichtensteins where everything is, you know, you, you, it's so much easier to manage small amounts of people. You know, you, yes. Go ahead. Yeah, that I was just listening. I forget the guy's name, but he was doing a, a YouTube video on a lecture on the Civil War. And he said, if you look at the Constitution, it's supposed to be it says like you're you're not allowed to have more than one representative for I don't know what it was, like every 30,000 people, something like that. And his point wasn't that we we don't exceed that. His point was that if that's really how they were thinking of it, you would have 11,000 congressmen, mm -hmm. which which doesn't make sense because the it, the country wasn't meant to be this huge. Mm -hmm. And that's that's exactly the point. Um, uh, Dr. Hoppe has spent a lot of time with the Prince of Liechtenstein, and if anybody doesn't know anything about him, in the early 2000s, he basically said that any of the cantons in Liechtenstein, if they want to secede, they can secede. If any of the if any of the towns within want to secede, they can secede. If any of the people want to secede, they can secede, but they don't have to leave. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I did write um, like a little review on a book called The Constitutional History of Secession. And in that book, which I think I got from Mises, it was asserted, I didn't do my own research, but that Rhode Island seceded from the UK with it before the Revolutionary War and was not attacked for it. That you could actually just, that the default state is the right to secede and you should not, like with Croatia or the South or any of that, you just should not be attacked for that. Yeah, I mean, it's, think about it. What what are we celebrating every July 4th? We're celebrating secession. But people get this, have this idea in their head that if the state start, you know, they have this romantic idea in their head that this country needs to stay intact. Like one person, a president, can speak for 350 million people. And the only person he can speak for is himself. That's the only person that I can speak for unless somebody explicitly gives me permission to speak for them. And I've never in my life given anybody explicit permission. I mean, I know there's this whole thing about a, a, a you know, the fairy tale social contract right, and everything, right. but anybody who invokes that has, has never studied contract law. Because, right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, when it, it's an idea. And, and the funny thing is, even if the Constitution is the contract, they don't adhere to it anyway. Right. So we're free from it anyway. Exactly. So it, that yeah, I, I wanted to mention that one book. It's called The State in the Third Millennium, and it's by Prince Hans Adam. Wow. I've never is, even heard of it. Yeah, he is the uh, he is the Prince of Liechtenstein, and he is whenever there's any issues, and he has a particularly tough thing that he's dealing with. He'll call someone like Dr. Hoppe. And bring him in and say, you know, okay, that we're having this issue. How do you think we should handle it? Oh, yeah. much better than like Larry Summers or whoever Clinton sent to Poland, you know, yeah, yeah. in those days or, or the Russia or Yeltsin, like they were all these Harvard guys like, oh, don't well, we got your back. Like they definitely don't. But I just before you move on from that, I wanted to point out, like I noticed when Obama was talking about Crimea, like Crimea seceded. They were not annexed like that's not a fair way of representing what happened to them but obama's argument was that they that we were we were against that because we were in favor of territorial integrity 
instead of self-governance, like the principle on which we are based is self-governance. The law of nations with Vattel was like a, the foundation of the U.S. founders used for the Constitution. The idea is not territorial integrity means nothing. There is nothing to that. If it's a nation of people, it's it is self-governance would be the only justification for like that authority to have authority. Mm. Just just making that point. Let me ask you, <laughs> is Liechtenstein in Germany? It's it's between it's like between it's right off of it's between like Germany, um, uh, Switzerland, and it, it's like this little. Uh, I'm gonna pull it up real quick and see. Yeah, is it near Luxembourg? See exactly where it is. It well, it's pulling me into the map. Awesome. <laughs> okay. So how, how we get there? It's a. <laughs> It's about yes. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly forty it, hours. It's directly <laughs> it's directly south of Stuttgart. Oh, so, that's where we hail from, my family. Yeah, so it is actually uh, it would be considered to be in Germany, yes, yeah. But they are there; they are independent. independent. They are yeah. So they don't. I, I I believe they may have their own currency too. Wow. I know I know Andorra has their own currency, and it's actually gold. Nice. Yeah. I, back when I was when I first became a libertarian and I was studying, you know, like the case for gold, Ron Paul and everything like that. I was like looking at all these countries all over the world and like who who who's actually still using gold? I'm like, wow, Andorra, Andorra, another country of what? Twelve thousand people. Do you yeah. hear anything bad coming out of Andorra? Do you hear any, you know, mass shootings or anything like that? And it's actually a pretty culturally mixed place but it's a very small amount of people just like bonnie carlo places i mean yes right yeah you know, all right. of these sounds like Monica. a star trek planet the andorians <laughs> need, need to be taken over by the federation <laughs> the universal federation i'm not looking forward to that but you've got me uh looking forward to having renewed hope i think i follow the news too closely i used to just give up on it because i was like this is not this isn't going to work and i spent a lot of my effort thinking about libertarianism and the solutions and the philosophies and then when i got this radio show on terrestrial radio i i mean that's that's like you're not going to re people are listening to rush during the week and then when they turn me on they just can't make that leap. So you kind of have to bridge the gap and return people to basic principles. And I try to do that, but just having to keep up on the news can be really disheartening. And there, and there was one thing that really, really like, uh, sucked the life force out of me ultimately. And I, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, Pete, is that I, I started to realize that like political parties and all that and movements have power, get co-opted and corrupted. And while I always wanted to give the nod to the Libertarian Party as an anarcho-capitalist, I'm not a party person, obviously, but uh, and and Ron Paul has never lost me like I he I've never been like, nah, I don't know what happened to that guy. But mo a lot of other of the institutions, parties and people I feel like are uh, compromising or hijacked to the point where they're counterproductive. Like I always think that stuff like that gets to be where it's um, intentionally exploitive. So I read something in Reason Magazine about uh, uh, don't let – they were in favor of Congress saying uh, banning voluntary GMO labeling. 
Reason Magazine, so which calls itself libertarian. And I, I just wonder if you are seeing this evolution, if you see conflict there, if you see exploitation. I mean, can or, or are you just so completely out of like uh, that political realm as being hopeless that you don't even think about it just time to forget it and move on because ron paul certainly was in the political realm and still managed to maintain his integrity and his value well here's something i think that's important i mean i i I talked to dr paul last week and one thing i've noticed over the last couple years especially since he got out since since he got out of uh of congress you don't ever hear him talking about elections you don't ever hear him endorsing anybody. You don't. I mean, even his own son. You don't hear him talking about elections. He, I, I really, honestly believe that he does not believe that it can be won through elections. That liberty can be won through elections. And you know, he like like you said. I mean, I, when when I talk to him, I, there are small things that I disagree with him on, but everything it always comes down. His answer to everything is everything would be better if people had more liberty. That's that's his answer to everything. He said, "If, if oh, you know, why do we have why do we have to have troops in the Middle East? He goes, we have nothing. We have nothing to do over there." And then members of the Libertarian Party, because he's not willing to back a coup, because Dr. Paul is not willing to back a coup in Venezuela, and he's not willing to um, he's not buying into Russia Gate. You know, they call him. Recently, they've accused him of being of his 2008 and 2012 presidential runs being backed by the Kremlin. (laughs) (laughs) This is the Libertarian Party. Oh, really? Leadership. Oh, my gosh. I'm talking about the leadership. The The ones who brought us William Weld. Yeah, the really the, the ones who brought you William Weld from the from the CFR who wrote the you know, wrote the North American Union. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I mean, come on, come. On. I mean, oh. those people don't change their stripes. I mean, it, well, put it this way: they, they do, but it's very rare. Um, Bill Binney's you know, comes to mind. Um, what uh, What do you mean? Bill Binney what, comes to mind. What, like, is he? Oh, I mean, he was. You know, he at one time he was a bad guy. You know, he was, you know, um, you never know with these guys if they're limited hangouts or not, although I've never heard him say anything that I thought was a trap. I mean, I respect him. Well, he was on Scott Horton's show last month and he was talking, you know, he's basically saying that the whole um, the hack, the DNC hack, he was explaining exactly how it had to be local. There's no yeah, way it has it could, to be a, a leak yeah, and not a hack, right? Yeah, we somebody... read an article about that on from the Council on Foreign Relations website. They had a cyber expert that back in 2016 wrote a long article that sounded similar to the type of stuff that he talks about, and the guy who, who did not believe that it was Russia. I was shocked to see it on their website. Yeah, I guess they have to address it, <laughs> you know, and they can package it up. And and a lot of times those places will write both sides of the story. And just ignore the one that's compelling and true, but they can leave it up there to demonstrate that they don't ignore the other arguments. But, but yes, yeah, so he, yes, the real whistleblowers, the only thing is like the real whistleblowers, the real people who turn often end up in jail, literally, or just silenced. And so I, I, you know, this is the kind of thing Binkley and I talk about, like it scrambles your brain that you can't 
it's just that uh, I coined a phrase, the trialectic, because it, it is not even like thesis, antithesis, synthesis anymore. There's like the false, false flag, you know, there's the there's the misdirection, the constant sense of like the your whistleblower is is fake. And that makes all whistleblowers seem fake. And it's hard to figure out the real ones from not. And I and I wonder that that's. Actually, I also face this problem when I think about how, especially teach my kids or people who want to learn about libertarianism and uh, what to do, how to get from here to there. I it, I do find sometimes it's difficult to to keep people focused on what's real and what's not. They want you to be part of the Libertarian Party, but here is this person doing that. I mean, how do you like? What do you have a philosophy about it? A way to help? Keep people focused, a touchstone. I mean, I don't – my whole point of the Libertarian Party is I take the originalist idea of the Libertarian Party. It's out there. It, it should only exist to be edu- educational. You know, what Dr. Paul did with like his 2008 and 2012 runs where he gets out there and he says he talks about messages of foreign policy and money policy and anti-war that no one else is talking about, you know, and that's where the Libertarian Party should really stay. I mean, they, um, I mean, if they want to try and get people elected locally, I mean, sure, you can. I mean, Hoppe even talks about in, in what must be done, getting elected locally, and you know, try to try to convince the local people to uh, privatize the schools and defund the police, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. But um, yeah, you know, because I mean, that's to me, when people ask me and they say, um. They say, what do you think is the biggest thing holding us back from liberty? It's worship of authority. Yes. It's worship of need, authority. The need for the leader. The need for the leader. So that's it all gets back to that, I think, is that you're waiting for somebody to lead you. And actually, Ron Paul was not – did not – you're right. He presented himself always as, I'm just here to talk about the issues. I'm not really here to win and – uh and and he did say that he thought things would get worse before they would get better. And I feel like that that can be disheartening. But at the same time, he would get record crowds, teenagers or college kids burning dollar bills. I mean, you don't have to be uh, just to be the thought leader is enough to to spread a wildfire. And then I so I started to think about the people who may in good faith be compromising, may in bad faith be compromising. I don't know, but I'm going to say in good faith, I think Rand Paul and maybe Judge Napolitano compromise in good faith. But like with Judge Knapp, he just, I mean, it was like my William Weld moment with him when he came out and said what a great guy Bill Barr was and a great choice for attorney general. And as Binkley has pointed out to me, and you have talked about, you and I are um, on the same page about what a travesty Waco was. And I think Bill Barr was the, the man on the, you know, the man at the top for that. Bill Bill Barr defended the snipers at at Ruby Ridge. Lon, Lon Hiruchi and and the sniper. Yeah. And he he was the head of the FBI, I think, or was it the, yeah, I think he was the head of the DOJ. He was attorney general during one of those. Yeah, Jim Bovard was uh, Jim Bovard's done some great work on that. Like as soon as Bill yeah, Barr's name Ridge. got mentioned, yeah, yeah, you're right. It was Ruby Ridge. 
Yeah, and I was just actually I'm doing research for something, and I was look going over Ruby Ridge again today, and I mean it was it was I mean what a I mean first first they entrap him, and then they go on and then they sneak onto his property, and his son his son shoot his dogs, his 14 year old son and a friend grab guns to run down and see what's going on. It was they unannounced. Kill- they yeah. did not know who they were, who was on their property killing their dogs. Yeah. So Sammy, so Sammy Weaver sees, sees these guys, turns around to run. They shoot him in the back. They kill the other guy. Then, you know, days, then days later, um, they shoot, they wound Randy. And while, while they're retreating, which they're not supposed to, according to their laws, their, their rules, they're not supposed to shoot while retreating. They shoot and they shoot, they blow Vicki Weaver's head off while she's holding her, you know, what, newborn toddler? Yeah. And I think she was behind the door, actually. Yeah. She was behind the door. I mean, yeah, that was, was like a money shot. They were just like, oh, we didn't, <laughs> we didn't mean to kill her. It's like, uh, well. <laughs> and Lon, and Lon Hiruchi, who yes. was eventually, eventually, um, exonerated because he, they were going to put him on trial in Idaho. Um, he was blue team at Waco. Yep. And he was the guy Bill Barr defended, if yep. not yep. in react, like at least in name. I'm not sure if he actually, yeah, went. I mean, these people defend animals. I mean, the, the people, the people at Waco, the FBI agents, the Delta force, the <laughs> SAS agents that were there, the German, the, the German mm. uh, paramilitary people that were there. They were animals. What and was they, the central issue that started Waco again? Pick one. They, they, <laughs> they made stuff up. They said they were manufacturing drugs there. That wasn't even in the search warrant. They did. They came up with that because the ATF was training at Fort Hood with the military and asked them for helicopters. And the military said, sure, but you have to pay for it, according to the Economy Act. They would have to pay for it. But as soon as they said drug nexus, the ATF knew to say, oh, but they're doing they're they're manufacturing drugs there. Boom. Free helicopters. Then they then they said they were abusing children and none of that. Right. None of that ever got got proven. Uh, They said that they, they were you know, then they came out with the whole suicide cult thing. And I can tear that apart in, you know, in five minutes that they weren't. Well, ultimately, they could have just arrested the guy when he went out for jogging. He went shooting with ATF agent, undercover ATF oh agents God. three days before the raid. They handed him one of their guns oh to gosh. shoot. If he was a total madman, he could have blown both yes. of them away and walked away. Wow. Like, I mean, the mullet, the, the mullet master used to climb in his Camaro and drive all over town. They could have stopped him at any point, but they needed to have. It was called Operation Showtime. They Ugh. had they they had a black eye from Ruby Ridge, so they had to make up for it. So they put this, you know, I mean, seventy nine people. You know, there was over there was there was well over seventy nine people. Seventy nine people ended up dying on the last day on on uh, April nineteenth. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, they attacked basically a house full of women and children and they shot first and their whole story was no when we put, went up to the front door bullets came through the front door well okay let's look mm-hmm. at the front let's look at the right. front do- let's look at the front door <laughs> the front door disappeared right oh, God. yeah the, the, the bullets did not come out the front door operation oh, and- showtime these names That's- they give these things are unbelievable Waco is, and, and you know, people are. Uh, I mean, Waco is one of my, uh, 
it, it drives me insane. I yeah, will talk yeah. to it. I will talk Ruby to it. Ruby Ridge is, is terrible. I mean, yeah. really tragic, like on a very personal level. Like Ruby Ridge, but when I'm, I was investigating Bill Barr, I was like, that's sick. And why Judge Knapp would defend him? God, finish that, people. But, but they burnt those people alive. And the way you know they did is because they took trophy photos afterwards. They all posed on on the ashes. What? They all pose. They were posing while the building was burning. Uh, the FBI agents were posing with the building burning behind them. They were that, posing next to animals. next That's to animals. bodies. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you a question. If those people, if the Davidians burned themselves, and these were really law enforcement ag- agents, you know, the security force, wouldn't they have done everything they possibly could? I mean, you know what the first thing they did after the after they got the fire under control. They ran the ATF flag up the flagpole there. Oh, my Ugh. God. Ugh. People don't know. The only thing people know about Waco is what they heard in the press. And where do you think the press got their information from? Mm-hmm. Well, they ATF. were a mile away, right? Yeah. They weren't allowed anywhere near it. That's oh, yeah. crazy. That that makes that, – uh, one of your shows, you were talking about somebody in the military who was bragging about killing people on a, on a podcast or something recently. I can't remember the name of the person. Oh, it was um it was Duncan Hunter. The the congressman Duncan Hunter. He right. uh he was on a podcast recently and he said um yeah, when I was a, when I was in Iraq, you know, we we bom- we bombed people, we blew people up and we knew that they were innocent. We knew it was women and children, but hey. It is what it is. That's what that sniper, American sniper, whatever it's called, that like oh, yeah. gave gave uh, the pretty guy Bradley Cooper his like catapult to stardom. Yeah, just it just makes me sick. It doesn't it? I didn't see it. I well, you know, never you, see it. But they shoot a guy. They don't they shoot a mother and child like yeah. in the opening scene. I well, mean, yeah. like hey, you got well, there, it for America. <laughs> there's this scene where they're. Um, where you see him shooting somebody who is actually torturing um torturing another Iraqi. Yeah. You know, what they don't tell you is the guy who was torturing the Iraqi, he was on the United States side. Oh. Wow. And who is he shooting? He shot the American guy? Well, the, no. Oh. He, he see, shot yeah. they, they they constructed this scene sure. in the movie where right. oh, this guy's torturing someone with pliers, so right. let's kill him. Well, right. he didn't kill him in in you know in reality. Yeah. He didn't kill him because that was those guys were on his side. They were on the same team. Yeah, they were well, they were the same team. Basic idea of how can you call yourself a hero when you're in another country yeah. and the people are defending their own land? You know what I mean? It's it's sick. Yeah, I it's... feel I feel terrible for the soldiers who signed up after nine eleven. A lot of them came back disillusioned. And one of my favorite memes. It, one of my favorite memes is you see a um, you see a military vehicle dri- driving down the road, and it says on it, it says uh, illegal illegal aliens uh, crossing the border into another country, and it's an American. Mm-hmm. It's an it's American a, truck going into Iraq. Yeah. I mean, it's just that the Iraq had nothing to do with nine eleven. So even if you're if you're responding to that idea of being invaded first, which is the justification, it had nothing to do with Rex. So I just I find that stuff very, very hard to understand. But even Chris Kyle, I believe, had his limits because wasn't it, 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 he died under what I would consider highly suspicious circumstances 
right around the time that his company was on the scene at the Boston, Boston Marathon Ma- bombing. At the Boston Marathon bombing, yeah. I mean, and he just well, and he and what they don't I mean, the movie is not the book. I read the book. He brags about killing. Yeah. He didn't have it. It didn't keep him up at night. Right. I, uh, do you think so? When you describe the people as animals, like especially you're taking trophy shots with, yeah, Bernie with Americans, do you think they're pigs. Do you think, think they're about it. as animals, or do you think they're because or both? It's nature and nurture. Um, I, I think they just that's the way that they have to be trained. I mean, yes, we see we see more more and more police are being trained that way now too. I agree totally. Um, a, a lot of the police trainers are uh, going over to Israel and getting their training over there. So they come back and they train American American police like the Israelis are training to deal with Palest, you know, Palestinians right, embedded there. in in hostile territory. They're training the police to deal with Americans the way they deal with Palestinians. Yeah. Yeah, that can't be good. No, well, I mean, and they don't have the same laws as we have. Well, you, I mean, you saw this thing out in California where this rapper must have been like either drunk or really gone. He went into a Taco Bell drive-through and fell asleep in the drive-through. Did you Did you see about yeah, that? I didn't, I didn't see that. It's some some low-level rapper, but I mean, he has like a good following on YouTube and everything. Well, he he fell asleep, and the cops showed up. I think it was five or six cops showed up, and they called because he had a gun in his lap. But the guy was the guy was dead asleep. Right. So yeah. they look in there and they're like and they see the gun and everything. And they're like, hey, you know, they, they knock. Hey. And the, the guy startles awake and they shoot him 55 times. Good oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's like, why did they even wake him up if that's what they were going to do? <laughs> did you, you have to. Do you remember the incident with the the guy in Miami who. He had a mental health patient that he followed out. It was a it was a black worker and a um I think I think it was a Hispanic kid who had mental mental issues and he was sitting there with a the truck and the cops showed up and the black guy laid flat on his back and they shot him anyway. I do remember that. Yeah, he was that cop was just found in, was found innocent of all charges. Well, that's the, the thing. There was a guy in Atlanta in Henry County. William Powell, I believe his name was, uh, who the same month that a guy, I think, named Ryan Johnson was killed by cops on the same street. Uh, he it was the middle of the night and there was a wrong address call. So cops came to the house, started sniffing around. He didn't know who they were. They were unannounced. He went into his garage, opened the garage door as he stood there with his gun down. He had his lights on, the lights on, everything. His wife was there. And as he was raising the garage, they just shot him dead numerous times. And when it came to, and the wife said they did not announce themselves. Their argument was that they announced themselves. So when it came to the grand jury to see if the cop was, uh, should be tried or not, they did not permit her to speak. So the guy got off because only they presented their case. And the and the month before Ryan Johnson, he was in a family dispute. He was like had mental problems, whatever. And stupidly, like his brother, he was having a fight with the dad. His brother called the cops and the cops came, evacuated the family. And after hours and hours, the mom was like, let me just go talk to him. And they're like, no, no, we got this under control. They shot him many, many times. But that that kid, at least it was the right address. The other thing was the wrong address, and they will not. That's the thing. I mean, I really. I They're feel not like, held accountable. 
They no, are. and and there are ways. This was an idea I had that there are ways that you can look at the say, okay, if the person you shot was guilty of a capital crime, that all everybody should be tried posthumously anyway. Like you should try them. You shouldn't just be able to kill somebody saying, oh, he was in the commission of a crime. You you should have to prove that. And then if it was not the case, then I think the shooter, like cop or whoever, should also have to uh, go on trial. If it's open and shut, it's open and shut. But there should always be this process, this open process. But, I mean, I'm not a big person of making policy. I just think there has to be accountability, like you said. Well, there has to be accountability. And my friend Scott Horton, who I consider to be, he's like the number one uh, foreign policy person in libertarianism today, especially the Middle East. Um, he says – He's number you one what? You cut out one second. He's the number he's one what? number one libertarian foreign policy guy. Yes, agree. Yeah. I mean he is just unbelievable. Yeah, antiwar.com. But, right, but so. yeah, antiwar.com. But he, um, he says – he goes, you're not going to get a fair shake when you go into a court. He goes – the judge, the law, the, the the prosecutor, the public defender, everybody in there is paid at, paid from the same place, and he says they're all cops. They can all have you arrested and pulled away at any second. So you know, it, I think one of the things that we have to do is you know, like seeing this person get off on uh, from shooting this cop get get off shooting a guy who's lying on the ground, or the one who. Uh, Philip Brailsford, who who shot Dan Daniel Shaver while he's crying, crawling down a crawling down a hotel hallway in Arizona. Um, the one of the ways that we can stop this is people like us need to stop trying to get out of jury duty if we get called mm -hmm. and go in mm -hmm. there and nullify the crap mm -hmm. out of. If there is no victim, there is if there's no victim, it's not a crime. I don't care if the guy was selling a hun hundred keys of cocaine. Right. If he, if he didn't hurt somebody. Not guilty. I am going to go into that. I will go into that jury room and I will poison the crap out of it. And when I say poison, poison their statist minds. And try. And and if I can't get anybody to change, I will just stay there and go. Not guilty. Not guilty. You're not getting. You're not getting a majority on this. I don't care if it's eleven to one. That's a great point. I, I believe you can also challenge the legitimacy of the law. When you're in jury duty, most people don't realize that the power that the jurors actually have when they go in there. Jury nullification is you know, almost literally defined as if the jury believes that the person is guilty, but they believe that the law is wrong. Yeah, they can say not guilty. But the chances of you getting to trial, Binkley just showed me this article, uh, a study is actually a pretty comprehensive study that said that 98 percent of all cases and in plea bargains because those guys are all cops give such draconian alternatives if you go to trial it's like Lori lachlan with the college admission scandal who i yeah, completely think was a years. victim yeah she was a victim not a, a perp at all so they said it's a year and a half you can plea out whatever and everybody took the plea bargain probably not even going to jail and then when she decided to fight it they said okay now your potential sentence is 40 years for doing nothing to anyone i mean even the crime if she did do it doesn't even really rise to the level of anything more than a civil action i wouldn't think but but that's the kind of thing that i i find with libertarianism to compromise is difficult, but I, I feel like in that – let me tell you what I'm talking about. There's So the idea of a plea bargain or even an arbitration clause 
these are ways in which we forfeit our Bill of Rights, the, our Fifth, Sixth Amendment rights. And as a libertarian, I'm always for the, you have the right to do anything. There's no such thing as an unalienable right because you have the decision. You can you can end your own life. You can do whatever. But in this, we are not in a in a free society. We're in a very corrupt persecution, persecutorial society where this government, which we do not consent to, has total authority over us. And somebody along the line negotiated this protection in there. And if we they can coerce us into forfeiting those protections and and it's just it's like a moral hazard to have the option for them to get us to give that up. So like I it's it's kind of my first movement of not just going with the Rothbardian idea of like take any liberty you can get at any time, which I think is also Ron Paul's idea. Uh, and then I just I kind of feel like plea bargains or arbitration clauses, things that negate those rights. I'm not sure I'm I'm in favor of it. I mean, is that is that just a shocking, shocking uh, vote for law? Well, I mean, if you don't like it, you can leave. You know that, right? <laughs> uh, leave this country. <laughs> yeah. And you, go you, where, go you know where they that, have no influence. You know what that's called, right? The, the, what the, is the, it? The ergo decedo fallacy. No. If you don't, if you don't like it, leave. Yeah. No, it, no, no. Yeah, but, it's but it's, er- my, it's my yeah. land. It's my home. I don't, I shouldn't have yeah, to. I know, I know but yeah. isn't that what they tell you? As soon oh, as yes. you start, as soon, I mean, and, and, and my first response to them is always, okay, you're engaging in a fallacy. My second response is, yeah, I feel the same way. The founders should have just left. They shouldn't have fought for freedom. They shouldn't have, you know, right. they, did independence. they did leave and they came here yeah. <laughs> and it became oppressive. And then they should have moved to Somalia. That's right. <laughs> but then, you know, what they would have, that's the thing. You could keep going and say, well, they'd have to, that, all the land is pretty much already occupied. So then what, then what did you, but yeah, you have your land. They shouldn't have to do it, which is why well, I love the idea of like the individual secession. Yeah. But, and, the, and the thing with the plea bargains though, I will say just to make the point that they want, they say, Across the board that even this great study, the conclusion wasn't don't allow plea bargains. It was reform, 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 because they say that the criminal justice system would absolutely grind to a halt if everyone actually had due process. Yes. But, of course, that's because of all what they call the mala prohibita crimes, not the mala and say crimes, the crimes that are bad in themselves, but the ones that are supposedly bad because they're prohibitive, which is what the distinction you were making about jury nullification, always nullify a mala prohibits a crime. And then you would everybody could have the trial they deserve. Yeah. That, and that's one thing. One of the ways to, I believe, to really get to freedom. And it's something that we're going to talk about in our documentary is um, I don't know if we're going to talk about, you know, trying to flood the system, but we're going to talk about agorism where you just you try to do as much as you can off the books. You know, if you can work off the books, work off the books, Um, even gray market, you know, growing your own food, um, trading with people, try to use their money as little as possible, because every time you use their money, you almost almost definitely are paying taxes and the less you can do that. But, yeah, I mean, another way to 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 do the um, the legal system would be, yeah, I mean, everybody should demand everybody should demand a trial. Yes. I mean, I yes. mean, if everybody demanded a trial, it would be it, they would just yeah. they'd have to 
They'd have to build as many court, courthouses as they did pris- as they have prisons now. Yes, wouldn't that be great? If they actually, I'd love to see the numbers on that. But I want to say for the agorism thing, the two uh, greatest threats that are, should say, barriers to that right now, I think, are one, uh, Obamacare. Obamacare is the only thing I can think of where every single man, woman, and child must register and report. I must. Thought they- I thought they repealed that. Uh, the mandate? Yeah. Um, yeah. I thought Trump, Trump repealed the mandate. Yes, the mandate did go away. I'm wondering if if the kind of registration requirement went away with it. I don't know. You know what but, I mean? Um, like, yeah, you're right. Like, you don't have to have it, but I, I wonder if you have to actually waive it. I'm not really no, sure. Because I did hear some bigwigs say a long, long time ago, we need universal medicine for the information. So I'll have to look into that. That's right. That would be uh, that would be uh, a very hopeful but sign for some, me. I know some real agorists. I mean, I know people. I know people who've left the country to, to just get away from this all. Yeah, you know, I'm tempted, and, and I, I wonder if there's a moral obligation to stop paying these taxes, to stop supporting wars and well, incarceration. Carol, Carol Moore, who wrote one of the one of the best Waco books, it's called The Davidian Massacre. She hasn't paid taxes since I think 1976 or something like that, and it's all because she's a pacifist, and she's always been a pacifist, and she's like, I can't have any of my money going towards right. war. So what does and she do? Just she's a protester. She just she says I can't have any of my any of my money going towards wars. Does the IRS come after her? She I see her on Facebook all the time. Yeah, I think they I've heard and and Peter Schiff I I believe was when I was looking into I read about his father that like they will put you in jail if you lead people to right tax um protest right. but if you just do it personally it, you right can. she's not teaching people how to do it she's just saying yeah, that I, yeah. I do i do it you know i mean and really you know ta- they have that phrase taxation is the price you pay to live in a civilized society erwin mm-hmm. shift died in a texas prison of cancer handcuffed to a gurney there's your civilization Jeez. that's right. your friggin' civilization right there i'm gonna see peter next week and oh. uh, uh really look forward to talking and talking to him because i've never met him before oh really yeah no yeah. i certainly haven't but yeah he's i i just uh, he's such a clear thinker on that stuff i just love it and i uh but the other thing i was thinking although i don't i'm no expert in it but uh when they go to the cashless society and i think bitcoin is a stepping stone a way that a lot of libertarians maybe i got it wrong but people get sucked in to it uh, and think it's a road to freedom, like the gig economy, you, Uber and all that stuff. And I see it all as just getting more enmeshed in the matrix to where you can't do anything off the grid. It's all plugged everywhere you go. Every dollar you spend is in the grid. And that, and I believe that that is, is a great risk to the, to agorism. Yeah. I, yeah, they're going to start doing, I mean, I think your Trump is an authoritarian, He's very much um, very pro-police, very pro-military. Yes. Um, I, do, I don't believe for a second that a wall on the southern border is just about keeping people out. Of course. I, mean, I totally agree. Especially with drone technology, what it is today. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I gave an interview in, in New Hampshire uh, in February when I was speaking at Liberty Forum. And I, I, I said <clears throat> what something that people really have to take into consideration, especially liberty minded people, is that if another 
what would happen if another 9-11 happened tomorrow? What would happen if somebody crashed a plane into the Sears Tower tomorrow and the Sears Tower came tumbling down in its own footprint? Or the White House. What would what would happen? Do you think we would be freer, you know, in, in the coming months? Or no, you, not at all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look at – I mean, you know the whole – remember the whole uh, meme of uh, they attacked us for our freedoms? Yeah. When you consider when you consider the TSA, the Patriot Act, the American Freedom right. Act and all that stuff, shouldn't they just like have a mild like mildly dislike us by now? I, and that's what I, <laughs> and it started yeah. it started that way. They talked about blowback. Yeah. They I mean, admitted well, that it was intervention that CIA, even, yeah, the CIA even admitted it. Even in their narrative. Yeah, Ron Paul admit. Ron Paul used the term blowback and he got it from the CIA. It was a CIA term. I have that that I'm trying to see in my bookshelf here if I have that book that he recommended and I bought it about like what it takes uh um to create suicide bombers. I mean this is all within the official narrative I'm talking about. Even their official narrative says that it's blowback. And and I really got a bone to pick with you guys. Why did you guys have to get me reading Edward Bernays? <laughs> oh, talk about scrambling your brain. I That's love big reading like, Edward Bernays. I, re- <laughs> I, I read propaganda, and I can't look at anything anymore. I can't crazy, listen to anything it? anymore. I mean, I, I just – I can't look at ads. I can't look at anything anymore. I mean, I look at – yeah, you know, I see. Oh, a drone! I see a drone got shot down this morning in international waters by Iran, and my first thought is, "Wow, oh, the manufacturer must be really happy." You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's exactly where my mind goes to. Is like I'm not even I'm not even going to buy into the political garbage. You know, I, I won't even make the argument that if the if the Iranians were flying a drone in international waters in the Gulf of Mexico, the United States would probably shoot it down. But you know. Oh, that that could be what aboutism. That someone could call that what aboutism. Yeah. But yeah, th- th- thanks for thanks for getting me to read propaganda. That that was wonderful. Well, it's try rude. crystallizing public yeah. opinion. Now. I have that on my shelf. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's got another one called Engineering of Consent. That's yes. the title of one of it. It's he he worked with businesses. He worked with the CIA. He did. He was a, a mercenary for propaganda. He didn't care, and it does. It kind of scrambles your brain when you when you um. Get deep into him. Yeah, I, I I was halfway through with that book, and I was just like, oh my, that, I'm never going to be the same again, am I? And it's like, and it's like, and I and I could read propaganda pretty clearly, especially war propaganda and yeah. you know foreign policy and money policy. Those are my two that, that I really pay attention to. But um, yeah, I mean, just after that, I was just like, oh my god. Something Bernays says that I think you, uh, I think that you have some knowledge about. Um, is he just he leaves this throwaway line in his book Public Opinion, which is in Public Opinion he actually brags about using atrocity propaganda and making up fake stories to get us into World War One. He brags about it. He brags about how the country went hysterical over the stories that weren't true. But he has a throwaway line in that book where he just says, "Anybody who wants to protect democracy better learn how communist propaganda works." And then that's all he says about it. <laughs> And I started researching communist propaganda right after that, and um, I think you uh, you're you're into you have some background in that, don't you? So oh, you, 
Yes, I'm uh, very, very much so studied the Soviet Union. And I wanted to bring something up because um, in my love for Soviet propaganda, I I really appreciate when it starts making it into the into political movements in the United States lexicons and especially on the right. Did did either of you see something that came out in March called uh, Against the Dead Consensus? I did not. No. Well, it was, you know, after the Soviet Union fell, you know, it's like, okay, the right always had a consensus that we need to fight the Cold War. We need to fight communism. Soviet Union falls. Communism dies. Pat Buchanan is like, yay, we can fi- we finally have to. And the neocons are like, no, we have to go into the Middle East now. <laughs> you know, and the clash of civilizations. Yeah. So this against the dead consensus. And my wife ha- talked about this on her podcast. So this is I have to give credit to Jen, the libertarian on this one. But they have terms. This is the right. These are Trump supporters who are against people like David French, who's at, you know, at National Review, people, you know, who's somebody who's very conservative socially, but he's he's got he's probably considered a um, a, a libertarian. Yeah, he's libertarian leaning when it comes to um, social issues, but they they warn against stuff, stuff like individual autonomy. <laughs> um, they warn they they promote communal solidarity they decry the cult of competitiveness and these are republicans these are republicans these are conservatives this is like uh, against the dead consensus it's called against the dead consensus if you google it it'll come up it's a uh new york post reporter uh omari oh god i uh uh, sohab omari and but it's there's multiple writers on this but right. so, but Sohab Omari was was the one who initiated this. So they're against the dogmas of free trade, right. free movement through every boundary, small government as an end to itself, technological advancements well, as a cure. This sounds all. like uh, the book <laughs> yeah. by Irving Kristol called Neoconservatism: The Autobiography of an Idea. That's Bill Kristol's father who uh, wrote all this stuff over the years, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, talking about establishing a conservative welfare state, creating a budget crisis so people had to choose which kind of welfare state they wanted. Uh, and that This is Irving Kristol. He's an absolute saint among the National Review crowd for sure. Yeah, and but I, I think the National Review crowd is actually pushing, pushing you know, away from that because, I mean, maybe the National Review crowd for – a good portion of them are, you know, not not never Trumpers, but you know they're not huge fans. Oh, that's bull! I don't think that's real. I think or, that is, what or is that what they're is that what they're portraying? I think that those are the exact same guys who signed PNAC, who are behind all these Middle East wars, and they like being uh, influential and above the fray and the establishment in the Republican Party. And I think Trump is their boy. And he is going to bring the Iran war for them and they can keep their hands clean. And I think they're going to literally or like figuratively in the classic sense of the word scapegoat him and say, OK, we're going to put it him. We're going to make Pompeo the new Bolton. And those guys are going to go down with the Iranian war. We'll be there to fight it because once you start a war, you simply have to finish it. That is the mm-hmm. American way. But we had nothing to do with this Trump guy. If we're going to start a war, we're going to do it above board 
And uh, yeah, that's I think their whole never Trump thing is that they knew darn well they were what they were going to have him do that he's their boy. But that's think, a little that's you know that's just my opinion. I I think the I think where I used to really think the left was becoming unhinged and they are. I think the right's becoming unhinged. I mean, more phrases from this article, and they call it a manifesto. Actually, um, <laughs> we need a we need a country that works for workers. Wow, sounds like we, Stacey Abrams. Yeah, we need to yeah, or Trump. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. We need to prize work over consumption. We need we need to take pride in work. That's fascism. We have a human need for a common life. Hmm. Wow. What the heck? Seriously? <laughs> that definitely sounds like some Soviet. Propaganda. Oh, it's, I, oh, I can see the poster. But also, <laughs> also Hitler. Yeah. Hitler oh, yeah. Said that stuff. You know, he made the realm. The coin of the realm was one unit of uh, one unit was one hour of labor. And, and I believe I read that that's when Bernard Baruch said uh, he had to go. That it was that it was that was the that was the sin the unforgivable sin that was the problem yeah. that was, that <laughs> that was, was the, the unforgivable <laughs> sin is to undermine the fiat currency. Do you ever um do you ever really look into the whole CIA propaganda thing of saying that um, Hitler was a secret Rothschild? No, you never saw that. Well, I've heard about it. I haven't dove into gets it. It's so scrambled when it's like the Rothschilds are behind everything. Like I just, yeah. it's too low hanging fruit. Like I just, I can't. Well, I, what, I, what I was true, and they're just putting it there to make it look like it's too obvious and make me keep looking. Like that's where this trialectic brain scrambling thing comes in for me. But tell me about it. Well, no, what I was trying to figure out is if they were trying, if while World War II is going on and they're putting out this propaganda that that Hitler was a Rothschild and that his, his mother was a, they said his mother was a maid for the Rothschilds. And obviously, oh, you know, yes, it, I did hear something like but, that. But, okay. but what, but, but what was the point of this? Was it to make them say, Oh, he's part of a dirty banking cartel. Or was it to say, don't trust this guy. He's a Jew. I mean, yeah, what, what was it? Him, <laughs> what, yeah. Like some reason that he would be so insane about, Jews, you know what I mean? Said dedicate his life to it because they're the ones who abandoned him. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, when I read that, I was just like, that is absolutely insane. That was um, uh, I talked about that with you know Richard Grove. Yes, I yeah, know. Yeah. Tragedy yeah. and hope. Tragedy right? and hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, he was he was on my podcast. We were talking about that, and and we're, we're just like, oh come on, that's just this, my whole you know. And, and I hear something like that, and I'm like, I don't really care who put it out. I want to know why they put it out. What was yeah yeah. What, what what kind of what kind of reaction were they trying to elicit? You know. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's the question right there. That's how I try, I try to look at it too. Is what what are they trying to provoke with the stuff that they tell us? Yeah. yeah, and then you have just like simple like limited hangouts and misdirection. I mean, you can I, I it's getting to the point where you can know all about their methods, their propaganda and and all that, but you just don't it's like uh when you read about who's the guy who who did JFK um Jesus, James Jesus Angleton, James Jesus Angleton. Um, I'm not sure he did JFK, but like, uh, he was the, he was like the head of counter espionage at the CIA and he just was certifiably, and I believe self-proclaimed paranoid. 
because there's so many like you just didn't know what a double agent, triple agent, quadruple agent. You just yeah. could, you just don't know where to stop that inquiry. It, and it yeah, just can yeah, go yeah. on forever. And it's like you could I, I, I don't know what threads to pull because some just go on forever. Some don't pull at all. I mean, I mean, like this Iran, 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 Iran thing where they're like showing they they make the video look ridiculous. And then people <laughs> like us are like, oh, that's clearly ridiculous. And they're like, anybody who thinks that's ridiculous is un-American. And now I'm beginning to think that they're going to actually prove that that was all completely true to prove. I mean, not that they could, but they'll get, they're going to make it a satisfactory consensus that it was totally true. And anyone who doubted it just because it looked fake is uh, should go to jail or whatever. Like, I just don't know where that's going to end. But, you know, one thing that I, I take into consideration with that is, I mean, the grainy footage and everything is yeah. just ridiculous. I saw somebody had taken the grainy footage and they had put a grainy John Bolton's face on one of the people. It was, it was, the best. <laughs> oh, a deep <laughs> fake. Yeah, it was, it was the best. Double but, deep fake. But don't discount the fact that Iran actually did it. When you take into consideration everything that the United States has done and, you know, the worst wars that can be fought nowadays are sanctions. I mean, you don't have to have a ground war. You don't have to have an yeah. air war. Because you what can they just did have to Iraq to starve all the yeah. children. And that's yeah. what they're doing to Iran right now. And I mean, look, Iran. I don't think Iran can use the SWIFT system. Um, Iran has very limited trading partners. I would not put it past you know, fact people in Iran's you know powerful people in Iran to go. Okay, you want to do this to us? Great. We're going to make the price of oil three hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. We're going to make yeah. it three hundred dollars a barrel. Subversives within Iran. I think they yeah. also have energy problems. So, like, we're always about their enriching uranium. I think they actually have energy problems and want to build nuclear power plants because they have that problem. But yeah, I mean, sanctions. Sanctions are acts of war. If somebody did that to you, if somebody cut off your ability to get food for your children, you have to if if they are physically cutting that off, you must physically respond. And I, and I believe that I mean it's common knowledge that that's what provoked Japan was that we mm -hmm. cut off the oil supply and yeah. it was going to choke them to death in a vicious war they were fighting. Yeah. In a and, sense, there's economic warfare, there's an attempt at economic warfare going on within the country with these groups that are Pete, you were just kicked off of uh, Twitter. We were – our website was purged. Um, the people – their livelihoods that they've created on some of these social media forums are being taken away. Now, I know that uh, we both have alternatives, but uh, tell us about your experience for getting kicked off. I'm interested in what happened. Well, it was – I every time I get into one of those conversations about you know how many – how many angels can dance on the head of a pin? Yeah. You know, something, something that's just not that's productive. Yeah. Um, yes. You know, and you know, it's like, Oh, theoretically what would happen? And, you know, I was, I was explaining how, you know, someone's like, well, in a libertarian society, if there were no police, I would just, you know, if someone wanted to pull me into court, I wouldn't go. And he's like, well, how would you, how would you handle that? I'm like, well, I would handle that very easily. Um, your name would be your, your name and your reputation would be probably the most important thing you would have. No one would rent to you. No one would say, I mean, you would become a pariah. You would have to go somewhere else, you know, and yeah. I was assuming that this person was talking about, All right, which is true. Theft. I mean, look at, look yeah. at, look at tipping, tipping in a restaurant. Yeah. 
it's just a five second thing to walk out that door without giving a tip, but like nobody does it. Everybody yeah. tips because uh, that's how we maintain respect and good relationships. Yeah. So, I mean, I was just explaining. You know, I thought the person was talking about, you know, oh, you know, he stole something or some kind of minor assault and restaurant. everything. Yeah. And, you know, and he goes, he, he goes, oh, Pete Raymond says that if I, if I rape, you know, if somebody rapes uh, somebody in, in his society, he'll just destroy their credit score. And I said, no, that's not what happened. It, I, I said, oh, I thought you were talking about, I thought you were talking about things that weren't really actual crimes. In that case, I just blow your fucking head off. And that's what they kicked you off for? Yeah. They You're probably that I was, not allowed to say that. <laughs> they said, well, they said I was making a threat. But it wasn't. It was No, it wasn't. Yeah, I know. But and it, the guy was a troll probably there to elicit mm-hmm. Because Binkley pointed out that they are definitely, and I'm seeing this coming, they're looking for people they want to get rid of because if there's a war coming, they don't want people like us out there. Oh, yeah. So they're going to target you with with trolls who will do the exact thing at the exact time that will get you to get yourself in trouble. Well, and there are trolls on social media for the – for the express purpose of yep. just causing division. Yeah, and, you know, I don't know where they, they could be. I mean, I've heard, you know, tr- stories from people that I actually respect and believe saying there are Russian troll farms that do that, you know, where they will they, they will go on Twitter and they will just make these, you know, ridiculous just, remarks to try and get. But then, yeah. But Russian? Then, they have the resources to waste on that? Well, there there are very wealthy people in in Russia that have the, the resources to waste oh, pretty oh, much anything. Oh, Russian individuals. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, okay. not the not not the not the right. government. Okay. But, you know, and these, um, yeah, yeah. You know, these but, activists um, train people too. Alexandria mm-hmm. Ocasio Cortez had a training session for Congress, and, and she is very much a troll on Twitter, just like Trump is. That's what they are. That's what they do. And they had training sessions to teach other congressmen and women. How to do the same thing, and these activist schools are training these little armies of troll. I mean, these are troll farms in the United States too. They're they're everywhere, and it causes people just mm-hmm. to go on insult wars. And nobody listens to anybody. Yeah, and, and I think it's designed that way. I mean, social media is cancer. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I've withdrawn myself from Twitter more or less. Yeah. I I no yeah. longer like give them free ideas. <laughs> I'll talk to people who talk to me. But I don't. I don't want to get kicked off. I want that resource if I ever actually need it or promote my show. Just like tell people when it's on. But I just. I just withdrew from it because because I got that an email that said you're consorting with Russian bots. And like <laughs> I know what happens next because I got that email from WordPress and then I was uh, absolutely taken down without warning. Nobody ever responded to my queries. Same thing with YouTube. They took my video down. I asked them. Uh, if they could review it, I never even heard back ever in any of those cases, and I'm still. I mean, YouTube, I think, restored me, but I just, I just exited. YouTube won't even monetize me. Oh, I mean, us they, either. Every yeah. time, every it's time right I apply away. for it, they, they say that I have duplicate, um, that I have duplicate um, content on my channel, and I've gone through my whole channel, and there's no duplicate. duplicate. What does that really? mean? That would be like, um, say I. I posted the same podcast three times or something like that, or, or I was explicitly promoting somebody else's. Like I had, you know, added people to like a list on my channel, which I don't think that goes towards my, 
my views anyway. I think it would go towards that. Yeah. But they, yeah, I mean, so I went through there the first time they said no. I went through and I said, okay, I had like, um, like I had done a live stream and then I had taken that live stream and turned it into a podcast and they were both up there and it was basically the same thing. So I just deleted all that stuff and I just got to the point where everything that was on there, there was nothing on there that was on there twice or could be mistaken for itself. Uh, and I reapplied and they said they came back with the same exact thing, but they made, they made sure to say this has, this is not ideological. This has nothing to do with the oh, content really? that you've put up and there. What, what content do you think they're worried about specifically? Like for us, we my do a Waco lot of the stuff. Conspiracy yeah. Yes. My Waco stuff, my Oklahoma, my Oklahoma yes. city stuff. Oh yeah. Yes. Do you know about socks leaving? About who? what? This guy named Socks Lieben. A guy named Socks Lieben. No. S A C H T L E B E N. Nobody's ever heard of him. But I was going to bring him up earlier when you brought up Bill Binney because I was saying whistleblowers don't get publicity. And this is a perfect example. This guy was working for the FBI. He was like a bomb specialist and he worked on OKC, like all the big ones. You know, OKC, I think he was there for Waco. Maybe it wasn't just bombs. Um, the World Trade Center thing. There's just a bunch of them. And he was also the man on the scene for, like, the underwear bombers. And what he did was the second – do you remember the second underwear bomber? Mm -hmm. Do you remember there was a second one? So that guy ended up being an MI6 agent. He was he was a British intelligence, and he was having the Yemeni bomb maker make him bomb, bomb underwear. And – and that's what launched a bunch of like uh, journalists being spied on their emails, and I think James Rosen from Fox, something like that. But but there was a whistleblower who exposed this double agent, and his name was um, Soxleben, and he went to jail for uh, for kitty porn in what was described in, I think, the Washington Post forever as a bizarre coincidence, just as they were deciding whether you can get in trouble for whistleblowing, he's got, he had to plea bargain on all this kitty porn that he happened to have on the computer they confiscated for this purpose. And I just thought that was funny. But that was a guy who, like I think with Chris Kyle or whatever, you get these guys who are just so, so knee-deep, but something must just cross a line with them. And sometimes they just say no, and then bad things happen to them. Is my so anyway? You might want to uh, check look at that, that out. Yeah, I, you, I always are, bring him up. Are you familiar with the name Andreas Strassmeyer? Oh yes, yes. <laughs> you, he, you wasn't he a Timothy McVeigh operative? Yeah, he was. He was at Elohim City with all the Nazis and everything. Yeah, yeah. he and, was um, Nazi, wasn't he? Yeah, well, he was. He was German. Um, he was a German intelligence agent. Agent. His dad. His dad yeah. was a former prime minister. Oh, I didn't. Wow. Uh, yeah, I didn't realize that. And do you know where he was getting his orders from when he was in the when he was in the states? Who? The Southern Poverty Law Center. No. Wow. Yes. Oh, I look it up. Register. Yes, I saw those names come up, and I remember just scratching my head, like, "What are you talking about?" Like, I just couldn't understand the implications of that. Uh, they just got in trouble for racism recently, and now they're oh, yeah. back as a trusted source again for some reason. Have you ever seen the um, – I think it's still on Amazon Prime, A Noble Lie? Yes. Yeah. yes. Oh, my that, – that, I don't know how – I don't know how anybody could watch that and not be like, um, holy crap. You remember – do you, 
and what's funny, the whole Nazi thing is hilarious. Now, there's a lot of people who believe Timothy McVeigh is still alive, that he was an agent the whole time. Well, answer the letter he wrote to his sister that was published in the New York Times. You ever see that? Yeah. Uh, where he's the, like, oh, they pulled me out for special operations. I won't be finishing my SEAL training. I can't tell you anything else. <laughs> and then, th- then in that whole thing, there's Kenneth Trinidu, who was, you know, yes, kidnapped. That was tragic. Yes. Kidnapped. Yeah. And, um, but the, um, yeah. It, well, when, he, when they took, um, McVeigh in to kill him, do you remember how he, what he did to change his appearance? I can't remember. He shaved his head. Oh, that's right. He shaved his head in solidarity with the skinhead brothers. I don't yeah. get it. What are you saying? He was a he was a Nazi. They were all oh. Nazis. You like McVeigh was a Nazi? Yeah, they were all oh, Nazis. He's an operative. It's they're it's, true believers. I, I, that's what I honestly believe. So I think I just asked you to tell me all the reasons that you get thrown off of things. Yes. <laughs> there you go. We went through them pretty good. <laughs> uh, but anything for money again. Not Oklahoma. that you make the money. It doesn't even pay for yeah. the equipment, but yes. Oklahoma City, you start going down that rabbit hole. Oh, my gosh. I, I mean, Waco's pretty. So Biden. Waco's pretty cut and dry. All you have to do is like watch, you know, Waco and New Revelation. Flamethrower coming out of the tank is pretty much the where, where Waco had me. But OKC, it took somebody telling me, oh, OKC was uh, an inside job or not what it appeared to be or whatever. And I was like, oh, it didn't even occur to me. And then as soon as you like pull on that little tab, the whole thing opens up. It's all pretty the, clear. All Just the, a picture of the building. Well, the ATF, you know, they had the ATF office in there, and it used to be filled with everybody drinking coffee and eating donuts at eight o'clock in the morning. At nine, what, it, when this when this bomb goes off, it's empty. Yeah. No one's in there. Yeah. And Just a coincidence. It had uh, it had whitewater files in it. Is that right? Yeah, that, that, that's an, that's another one that's that's come up. Yeah. Did it really? The the yeah. building that blew up had whitewater files in it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they're sick. Like we're laughing. I, I'm laughing. But don't even get me started on Tower sick. Seven. No, I mean when you look at that <laughs> stuff. Oh, don't even get me started on on what was in the basement of Tower Seven. What was in the basement of Tower oh, Seven? WorldCom, Enron. What was in there? It was China's gold. Oh my gosh. What? Yeah, there was chi- it was a Chinese gold deposit. Did you get it out? What happened to it? When it when it collapsed into its own, it, nothing could be recovered after it collapsed into its own footprint. Oh, really? So it just evaporated? Or somebody removed it and dropped the building? Like it wasn't there, or it's like <laughs> yeah. oh, even no matter what, there should be a little puddle of gold in the bottom. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it doesn't just disappear. They can find like somebody's filling in an acre of yeah. land if they're you know i watch or, or, a, files and, or a passport of a of a terrorist who hit a building unscathed. yeah <laughs> we can also i have cameras i read an, an article about cameras that can see through walls and see through your clothes from outer space and then the next week <laughs> we get proof of iran with uh from grainy footage it looks like it's from yes. 1945 yeah yes <laughs> My friggin' my, my friggin' Samsung can take better take better <laughs> yeah. videos from, like across the right. street. Yeah. And then the uh, the San Bernardino one where they say like you can't they can't unencrypt your phone like they we couldn't break into the San Bernardino phone and I'm getting ads of stuff I looked at at a store on my you know what I mean I'm like walking through a store and I get home and I'm like I was just looking at that at Nordstrom and it's like oh but we can't. 
can't access your private information. I'm I'm almost positive that they can that they're hearing it that they're they're hearing what you're talking about. I'm almost positive. For I mean, sure. I was I was talking with my friend Ben on 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 an episode the other day, and we were just talking about how like he said that he was like having a conversation with somebody about how he'd like to go to Bali one day. And like the next day yes. he logged the next day he logged on uh, mm-hmm. social media and there was an ad yes. for Bali. Sky zone I, that happens to me with Sky Zone and an amaretto sour recipe. Like, how many times are you coming? I was literally having dinner. I was not talking to my phone. I wasn't googling it. I was having dinner with a guy. Like we we're having, I had a couple over, and he was talking about how he drinks amaretto sours, and I was amazed because the guy's like six five, you know. I'm like, you're drinking amaretto sours? Like, I was like, what? How, how do you make them? What's a good recipe for an amaretto sour? I was like, I don't know. I just order them at the bar. I was like, okay. And then the next day, I was like trying to look up America like American flag or I don't know what I, I put an AM and it's like Amaretto sour. I'm like, really? That's the <laughs> one search for AM. So anyway, yeah. And then, uh, and I was talking about my daughter's birthday party and she's like, I want to go to sky zone. I'm like, okay. And I opened my email and the top thing above all the emails was like sky zone. I'm like, really? <laughs> I don't even know if there's a sky zone, like in the state. <laughs> anyway, what is sky zone? <laughs> Sky Zone. I don't know. I think I think it might be trampolines. Oh, okay. I don't know. I I think of Delta Sky. I I guess I'm thinking of the Delta Sky Club. No, (laughs) right. That's the thing. I don't even know what it is. There's no way it pulled it off of my queries. Although there's a legal marijuana smoking section. (laughs) Oh, is that going to pop up on? Now I'm going to get that. (laughs) (laughs) We have a lot of unique ads after this show pop up for all of us. Uh, my teenager. my phone my phone's right in front of me, so I, I can just imagine what I'm going to be seeing tonight. <laughs> Flights to Lichtenstein. Lichtenstein, yeah. Lichtenstein. <laughs> but the thing that I thought was interesting the other day, we were looking into Google and big tech regulation and all this stuff. And in this, in a very in a limited hangout article, it was a very comprehensive article written by like a, a, a high level NSA guy, and I'm pretty confident it was just there for to cover stuff up or answer questions. And he said the reason Google was created as it was was the amount of kind of like the way Bill Binney would say, like a kind of four-dimensional image of a person through time, whatever, that can be created by your queries. So what you ask it gives a a unique insight into who you are. And I thought, like as a thought experiment, to, to think about or write down like all the last 20 questions you ask Google, and and especially if I went back to before I was paranoid about that, like what kind of stuff I was asking Google. I, like, I just wonder what would happen if one person did this to it. And I was like, no, no, no. Anyway, I would not like to see what my children are querying. Although I'm sure it's in a fusion center somewhere. Ugh. Anyway, so, oh, Binkley, you want to play your game? I want to... Um, yeah, we can do that. I have five either-or questions that you both both of you guys can play, actually. Uh, I, I'll I'll say... Two things, this or that, and uh, you guys pick which one you would choose. Sound good. If I had if I had some sound effects, I'd be playing sound effects right now, but I don't currently have them, <laughs> no so problem. we can imagine those. I'm um, afraid of this. You didn't tell me what it was. No, you know, this, I think this it. is interesting. I think the, some of these are challenging choices. Uh, we'll do just kind of rapid fire style. The first first one is the Constitution or the Articles of Confederation. Ladies first. 
I'll say Articles of Confederation, but I think maybe we should say nothing. But I like the Articles of Confederation. <laughs> yeah, I like the Articles Articles of Confederation too. I've been a I've been off the Constitution for a long time. I'm one of those people who believes that the Constitution was a coup. Lysander's. So. Oh yeah, it's not even legal. Yeah. Interesting. Number two, Ron Paul or Murray Rothbard. You want to go? Turns to go first. No. Um, uh, want me to go first? Yes. Um. I uh, answer Mur that. Uh, it's a tough one. I, I have to go with Mur I have to go with Murray mostly because I never met him. <laughs> yeah, I see. Yeah, but I mean Murray when Ron Paul brought me to libertarianism, Murray Rothbard brought me to, you know, anarcho-capitalism. And I it's think Murray Rothbard brought Ron Paul yeah. to libertarian. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say Murray Rothbard also. Yeah, isn't your origin story, your libertarian origin story, Pete, around 2007? Mm -hmm. I, I have the the same boring story that so many people have. Yeah, um, I heard I was I was confused statist for many years, many years, and had no idea how to you know even know what was going on in Afghanistan and Iraq. It was it all confused me, and then I heard Ron Paul in a debate, and boom, it made everything solid after that, and I ordered his book foreign policy of freedom after that i read that and then i was just right down the path it's it mentioned the mises institute in there and then i just started ordering murray rothbard books one after another and boom here i am yeah he was a rock star man he, that's a, around the same huh. time i started getting i wasn't even interested in politics until ron paul yeah yeah ron actually, paul did a lot i think of him as the most dangerous man in america and it's funny because people will say to you, I remember distinctly people saying when I was a Ron Paul supporter that his foreign policy was dangerous, which just, you know, cracks me up. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I, so those same people, I'm talking about conservatives, have Trump now making things a lot less dangerous. I don't I don't know about that. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I definitely loved what Ron Paul did there. And I I I. I my uncle was a Catholic priest, a Franciscan, took a vow of poverty and everything, and he turned me on to Murray Rothbard, and and then I kind of got to Mises and kind of bought everything. I heard uh, Hans Hermann Hoppe on Lou Rockwell once um, talking about he had just written Democracy of the God That Failed, and I remember he was saying everything I thought, like, it's it's hopeless. Like the, the organized government, a, a centralized coercive seat of power is absolutely hopeless. That's when I discovered anarcho-capitalism. Then I was like, oh, my gosh, society is self-ordering. Of course. Of course it is. You know? <laughs> I'm there home. Is hope. There is. I know. I was so. And then I said, oh, I have work to do now. I had given up hope. <laughs> now, once you have hope, you've got work to do. I Which was, is what I'm right. excited about your um I was lucky. I grew up anti-authoritarian. I mean, I grew up in the Bronx, and um, I just I watched cops beat the beat the living hell out of people for no reason. And you know, I never, I've never had any respect for the cops. I've never had any respect for authority. So it, it wasn't a hard transition. When we, I have to tell you a Bronx story. My sister-in-law, we're from Brooklyn, but my sister-in-law is from the Bronx, and her brother. It was called just a drive-by. I think he maybe owed somebody some money. I don't know, but he was uh, assassinated by thugs. And in the newspaper accounting of it, cops apprehended these guys, chased them, and apprehended them a couple blocks away. But in the true story was that the citizens ran after the guy. 
the guys who did it and caught them. These are guys with guns, the citizens in the Bronx, like in like kind of modern day, caught them and held them for the cops. But the story in the newspaper gave credit to the cops. You want a black market success story? Yeah. Um, New Year's New Year's Eve, nineteen eighty-seven. My uncle owned a jazz owned like a Latin jazz club in the Bronx. Um, some guy didn't like the policy that you had to wear a jacket, and he uh, came back in shooting, and he Jeez. he killed my my uncle caught one in the neck. Wow. And he and he bled out. Oh. Um, the police, even though they loved him to death, couldn't do anything about it. So my other uncle hired some mobsters and they went and found the guy. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Because sometimes the black market can only, sometimes the black market can do things that the quote unquote legitimate market can't do. That's actually interesting because my father had a gas station in the city and uh, an all night thing and some connected people used to park their cars in his gas station. And one night he was robbed and all the keys were taken and uh, and my father was sweating because he was mm-hmm. like, I have a responsibility here. <laughs> so he told like the one guy who he was close with or had a rapport with, like what happened. And he said, end of the day, uh, he went into the bathroom, whatever he came out, and there was just a paper bag sitting on the counter with all the keys in it. And uh, that was it. <laughs> he never called the cops or anything. But like, I mean – at least that's that you're getting your stuff back. You know, like it's not yeah. it's not good to to ha- everything is probably quite violent that way. But the goal is the same, which is restitution, yeah, or, or retribution. Yeah, that's very tragic about your uncle. I can't. It's it was awful. yeah. It, it it was horrible. He was he was oh. a really 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 good dude. <sighs> This world. Yes, yeah, so this is what it, we it, have an almost total authoritarian state for, and this stuff happens 10,000 times a year. Yep. So bring On us that up. note, I got another either-or question for you okay. guys. Now that I've brought everyone gonna, down. This, one, this is a tougher one right here. Chris Cuomo or Tucker Carlson? <laughs> for what? For Whatever. jail? For <laughs> what are you going to do with them when I tell you which one I want? I want Just a it's your choice. You want I, yes, I find uh, Chris Cuomo even less tolerable than uh, Tucker Carlson. I don't know who either of those guys is. <laughs> at least, no, I mean, I know exactly who they are. Um, I mean, I'm a New Yorker. I know, I know, I know what a Cuomo is. Um, I, oh my I gosh, would, right? I, I, I'll take Chris Cuomo only because I know that. Everything coming out of his mouth is just basically tinged in crap. Every yeah. once in a while, Tucker has, you know, with Tucker, it's harder to, uh, you know, to sift through where the truth is and exactly you know, what he and what he. I mean, I don't even believe I, I, he's. Re, I mean, he's reading off a script now at this point. I his mean, that, was that was a propagandist, the head yeah. of the U.S. Whatever. Yeah, and There's his. A, his attack on libertarianism lately, and and he even mentioned Austrian economics was probably the most odd thing I've ever, ever heard. I mean, I didn't realize that Austrian economists and libertarians were such a threat. On the radar, it's like when Bill O'Reilly and Hillary Clinton started talking about Alex Jones when he was totally an unknown name. And Bill O'Reilly, someone mentioned him on the show, and Bill O'Reilly said, "Who?" 
And it's like, oh, okay, that's up next. Yeah, anyway. It's tougher to spot that stuff. It's a very Bernaysian type approach. There's a line from, I believe it's a pilot episode of the X-Files where Deep Throat says to Mulder, he says the best way to tell a lie is in between two truths. Yep. And that those are the hardest ones to spot. X-Files or the original Twilight Zone? Your turn, Pete. Oh, man. That's a tough one. I, I'm going to say the original Twilight Zone. Yeah. Only for the episode, The Obsolete Man. Love that episode, yeah. That episode is, I mean, I watched that episode and it just sends, it's still, I've seen it so many times, it sends chills up my spine. That just came up again. Which one was that, Binkley? Didn't we just talk about that one? Somebody called into the show recently and mentioned a a quote from it, yeah. Which one was that? I can't remember, which episode? I don't remember the name. Yeah, Pete, what episode was that? Uh, What's the premise? I can't remember. Oh, it's a um, it, it, it's Burgess Meredith as the as oh, the, with obsolete the eyeglasses. Man, as, yeah, oh, as the obsolete man, and basically, it's gotten to the point where society is phasing out. I think he is a librarian <laughs> or yeah, something yeah, like. He broke his eyeglasses. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that is a quintessential episode. No, uh, no. What happens in this episode is because he's become obsolete. Society is going to kill him. Yeah, because he reads books. He reads the Bible. Right. Yeah, because he's religious, and they've gotten beyond all of that. And um, so he basically so – I don't want to give it away for people because it, <laughs> if they've never seen it before, it is great, real, great, the ending great. of it is really good. Yeah, okay, good. And and, the, and, the, and Serling's – what Serling says over the final credits. Yeah. yeah. Ugh. It's great. Uh, I, I'm going to go watch that tonight. But I, I have to say it makes me think that man himself is now obsolete. Like, I see what they're doing. Like, why are you even robotizing everything? Like, who is going to – who who is this robot going to clean a house for if we are being phased out by whoever is phasing that in? Maybe it's the <laughs> singularity. You know what I mean? Like, I don't even – we're all going to be useless eaters eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I got one more for you guys. Monica, you're probably not going to really be able to answer this one. But, Pete, I know that you will. Uh, As spoiler-free as possible, Daenerys Targaryen or Bran the Broken? Bran the Broken. Yeah, okay. (laughs) I I hated Daenerys Targaryen from the the very start. I knew she was a dictator from the the start. Yeah. I can't can't watch. Tell me if I'm wrong, but my nephew told me I would not like that show because of all the rape. Right right from the beginning, too. That's what he said. He said, you will (laughs) not be able to get through the first episode. So when Stacey Abrams is all tweeting Game of Thrones, I'm like, oh, really? Not you, too? Like, where's your hashtag me, too? Oh, (laughs) Is that not cool? Am I I wrong? Am I not reading it right? (laughs) A couple episodes ago, you had mentioned that one of the reasons why drug – why drug uh, the drug trade is so violent is because they can't call the cops. Yeah. They have no protection from the cops. Right. That's a bad. Cops one. are violent. <laughs> that's, that, that's not that's not a good argument. Well, uh, you, you know why? Well, they don't protect us anyway. Cops are more violent. Yes, but they don't protect us anyway. They show up less than five percent of the time to stop a crime. It's yeah. the state. The reason why why yeah. the drug trade is so violent is because the state exists. I got pulled out. Well, I got no, into no, a no, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Can I just say that the 
But why isn't um, selling TVs at Best Buy violent? Because, I mean, the, peop the people that own Best Buy and the people that own Brandsmart aren't doing drive-bys, you know, and killing each other. I'm just saying that they're not because, like, CVS sells drugs and um, whatever. Brett sells drugs. Brett, the CVS thinks they can call the cops, and you think they will call the cops, and you think you'll have trouble with the, with the court and all that kind of stuff. But Brett does not think that you are – he knows that – no one thinks there is anything but the drive-by, and Brett has to do that just to make sure you know that's the recourse. That's all I was saying, and I'm happy for you to correct me, and I won't ever say it again, but that's all I was saying is that it, the black market is why it's – it's that the government tells you you can't use traditional forms of conflict resolution. You are prohibited from the agreed upon forms of conflict resolution. And that is why they have to use uh, more primitive forms of conflict re resolution. No, you don't like that. Well, uh, here's, no. here's, here's the thing. If you have two drug dealers who are going, going against each other, the illegality of the drugs is what makes it dangerous. Right. And I'm saying – why does the illegality make it dangerous? Because they, you can't just set it. I mean, because you're doing it in secret, and there's and there's this underground competition. Oh, you're saying it's the threat from the law that's the problem, and not yes. the that. Yes, that's why. Because it's because it's illegal. I don't know about that because the cops let the mafia do the stuff. You know what I mean? They'll turn a blind eye and still it's violent because to enforce the contracts, they have to use their own system. Yeah, the thing about the mafia, I, I always tell people is it was very rare that like um, bystanders actually yeah, got They it. had their own legal system, which was better than the than than the. Brett's legal system that I just think that they're all legal systems. And if you have property and a, mo a monopoly, a territorial monopoly on the use of force and you set those rules and people like when you have competing drug dealers like CVS and Rite Aid, they're using the legal structure that is available to them, which is a lot easier for them because we're paying for it. But if they didn't have the if they didn't have the legal structure, CVS and and Rite Aid would use some kind of arbitration. Yeah, or or not even. They wouldn't have any conflict at all. You're right. I I think it's probably both things because in a state of anarchy, CVS and Rite Aid So what? what's happening is the drug dealers are are vying for monopoly power or oligopoly power, which is enforced by the black market because the the law the law limits competition. Legally limits – like it's in there by force limits the drug competition, which makes it hyper-profitable, which makes those guys then uh, fight each other for the limited corners. Whereas CVS and Rite Aid, there is no monopoly. They can just compete each other into the ground, and there wouldn't be any monopoly if there were no government to enforce it. Right, and there or there could be a monopoly, and um... – if they, you know, people say, oh, well, it could be a monopoly and then they'll just charge a million dollars. And um, it's like, well, no, it's how many people would be able to afford it? It'd be better if it was ten dollars and everyone could afford it. You'd make more money. Yeah, very. Uh, few, they, uh, only, the only thing that could be a monopoly is something without any 
possible alternative. So like air, but there's no scarcity. Yeah. So it's not. Right. But yeah, I did yeah, interrupt. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to have to think more about that. I'm going to refine that <laughs> argument. And uh, I, I think that my argument has merit, but I agree with you that it's not the right thing to emphasize. Okay. For starters. And, that, and, and there is, like, probably three layers of, like, why it's violent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not it's not a monolith as to why it's violent. There's there's definitely reasons there. But whenever you whenever you see violence surrounding something in this society, it it's almost always caused by the monopoly on violence. Yeah. Which, by the way, is the name of my documentary. Oh, I was going to. Oh, guys. Oh, yeah. I wanted to get back to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you guys started producing this yet? Have you started yeah, filming? We, 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 we've done interviews with Larkin Rose, Eric July, Jack Bidlicka, um, and we're basically next month from July 14th through July 21st is Mises University. It's a week-long um, economic training at, at the Mises Institute, and all the great anarcho-capitalist minds are going to be there and so will we with our camera set up that oh they have gosh. been so they've been so nice um also judge napolitano is going to be there so i'm hoping that i can convince him to answer some questions and get on you know some like constitutional questions i like bet that. he would take it back on bill barr if you pressed him oh well, don't yeah that. Well, maybe <laughs> after some drinks but no, um <laughs> no, don't. i give him the nod i give him the nod but i just I'm like come on like compromise only keep going too far well i'm super excited for that when does it come out uh, we're hoping to have it out next spring because we're our interviews are going to run up until october Right. And then, and right now we're doing a fundraising for it, uh, Indiegogo. It's like one of those things where if you do ten dollars, you get a free, you get a digital download. Thirty, you get a Blu-ray. Hundred dollars, you get a Blu-ray, and you get thanked in the credits. And we've already had two people claim five hundred have um, donated five hundred dollars, and you actually be, get a producer credit and on the IMDb page and everything. So. That's great. Uh, it's well, Indiegogo. To that. Yeah, what is it? Yeah. It's in, it's it's on the Indiegogo uh website and uh it's the previous title was called Beyond the State. So if anybody just searches Beyond the State, you'll see it. You'll see our introductory uh, our introductory video there. Uh you'll hear my voice throughout it. I nar I narrate it. And um you'll get to see, I mean, and anybody you can you, you don't have to donate $10, you can donate $1. And um yeah, I mean, this is going to be I'm unbelievably excited about this because like i said i don't know that on youtube or on the internet there's a documentary on anarcho-capitalism that's going to be like this but the fact that it's going to be on netflix that has what 129 million subscribers <laughs> that's amazing if one percent watch it and five percent get it that's in the yeah. hundreds of that in the hundreds of thousands yeah that could change the world really How you guys get it on netflix Oh, it's, you just have to, you just have to, you know, through, through our lawyer and everything. He knows he he's an entertainment lawyer and he knows all the things to do with that. And he's doing it pro bono. He's he's an anarcho capitalist too. Nice. So, yeah. so let's link to all that Binkley on the show notes. You can find it on yeah, the definitely. proper. It'll be on the propreport.com for people uh, if they want to link to that. And what else, Pete? Do you do you want to tell people how to drive to you, find you, get more about this? You know, stay abreast of the documentary if, yeah. and your podcast. How they can support you. And... You can well. I mean, if you're on that horrible Facebook, um, <laughs> I'm. It's called Stateless Productions. Uh, that, that's our page. 
Um, I'm Pete Mance Raymond on there. Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at real Pete Raymond. Um, I'm being a little bit undercover there, but uh, <laughs> not really because my account name has my name in it. But you know, hey, I'm a, I'm a genius, you know. Yeah. I um, wondered if you were if you were gonna try to be low key after getting purged with prejudice. Yeah, per, I mean, w- with prejudice, hard, yeah, yeah, with prejudice. Yeah. Um, and then the Free Man Beyond the Wall podcast. Um, that's I just I released the episode yesterday where um, myself and Jen the Libertarian talk about this against the uh, against the dead consensus thing. And Monday I had released an episode where I had a cryptocurrency expert on and I just argued against I I gave every possible argument against cryptocurrency and he came back to answer all the questions. Wow. Um, and then, oh, I have to listen to that. I really, yeah, I really. You, you, want to you, you want, yeah. And then the previous last Friday, I had Ron Paul on, and you know, we talked. We talked. Can't about get enough of that. It was a yeah, great interview. I listened to policy. that. Oh, thanks, man. Oh, I just yeah. love. It. Well, it's kind of hard. Ron's been, you know, my friend Scott Horton has interviewed Ron now thirty-nine times. Wow. So you know, it's like you know, and he's actually making it a book. He's actually transcribing all of his interviews with Ron Paul, and he's turning it into a book. That's a great That's idea. Oh, yeah, yeah. I cannot get enough of Ron Paul. I'm telling you, because I'm highly skeptical, as you know. And I just uh, I, I just love it. I love him. And he was so generous of his time. I mean, he'll – I've interviewed him, and that's – I mean, yeah. he does, definitely doesn't know me. Yeah, I'll t- if you want to, when we stop recording, I'll tell you a little Ron Paul stuff. Oh, Let me yeah. ask you well, one more question sure, in, man. in closing. If you could give advice for – libertarians or uh anarcho-capitalists who aren't sure what to do what what can they do to affect change or, or to stay hopeful learn how to just talk to people um you know i, I just have converse, try to strike up conversations with people and even in you know my personal life and i try to cater the conversation to you know if i'm having a conversation with someone and and a subject comes up that you know i think that i can turn into liberty um direction i try to do it as you know as gently as possible um if you think you have a good voice and you have a good mind start a podcast um go on social media and post you know if you're a libertarian find great libertarian quotes and post them up and you know i mean there's tons of stuff that you can do or you can donate to donate to my indiegogo and we'll tell the world about libertarianism and anarcho-capitalism, and we'll have the greatest voices in the world to do it. Yeah, critical mass on distribution really could change. Like, it's very hard to figure out how you can start networking or um, get all the right arguments, talk to enough people. But if you can be confident and trust somebody who's doing it for you, that's why I'm, I don't contribute too much stuff, but I am going to contribute to that. Oh, I appreciate it. It's I mean – it's it's so funny. I did an interview on it the other night, and the person knows me, and I've been on his podcast a couple of times. And he goes, "You're always really stoic on your podcast. You ask questions, you let the person talk, and you just keep a very even keel about everything." He goes, "I've never heard you excited about something like that. You're excited <laughs> about this." And I'm, he's like, "Why are you so excited?" I'm like, "It's friggin' Netflix. Yeah, yeah. it's people, gonna be great. Yeah, do it people right. Watch you those will. documentaries. Yeah, yeah I mean, yes. they do." And they get lost in it. I mean, I have friends who told me I've just gotten lost in a documentary freaking hole and just yeah. yeah. So that's well. Awesome. I think that about wraps it up, Monica. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much. That's plenty to digest. And I have I have homework now. I have to <laughs> flesh out all the reasons the drug war is violent, but it's going to be fun. Maybe I'll maybe I'll make that my debut debut article when we relaunch our site, which we were also purged with prejudice from WordPress. And uh, anyway, big plans, but nothing as exciting as that documentary. I'm super excited about it. I can't wait to see it. Thanks for coming on the show, Pete. Thank you guys for inviting me. I really appreciate it. And had a great time. Thank you. Me too. If you guys enjoyed the show and you find value in the content that we offer, drop us a donation via PayPal, become a Patreon, share the show, subscribe if you haven't, tell your friends about it. All of your support helps us continue to produce the show. I will put the links in the description at thepropreport.com. Thank you so much to everybody who has supported us in the past and who continues to support us now financially and in a variety of ways. Thank you so much. It is your support that has gotten us this far. And thank you for listening. See you guys later. Later.